Welcome to Autism Weekly, the podcast that discusses autism news, current events, and inclusion. Each week, we welcome a guest to the program to share their unique perspective and expertise as it relates to the fascinating world of autism. I'm your host, Jeff Skibitsky. I'm the founder and president at ABS Kids. I've been in the field of autism and applied behavior analysis as a clinician and advocate for nearly two decades. This week, we welcome psychologist Dr. Angela Stewart to the podcast to share some strategies parents can utilize to manage stress. As many of you can imagine, something as simple as getting dressed, getting in the car, going to the grocery store can be a whole day ordeal with roadblocks, meltdowns, and stressors along the way. With a few helpful stress management tools, you can be on your way to thinking more clearly, practicing more self-compassion, and feeling more balanced in your day-to-day life. Angela, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jeff. It's, it's really great to be here. <laughs> yeah, it's my pleasure. And I've had the chance to be able to talk to you a little bit about your background and how that plays into some of this discussion. Mm-hmm. But maybe maybe we can get an understanding from you as far as what brought you into, A, the field of autism, but B, to this topic specifically, where it's about really understanding mm-hmm. where somebody's coming from. Hmm. Oh, goodness. Um, I did a, a really late career change when it comes to psychology. So for years and years and years, I practiced as a professional counselor um, in the state of Georgia. And I would go into um, people's homes. I would provide in-home counseling services. But I've also worked in residential treatment facilities, centers, um, hospital settings, um, and just kind of across the board, you know, you begin to really recognize that a lot of these families, regardless of whatever the presenting issue or concern was, there was, you know, uh, fundamentally this underlying issue related to stress. You know, I did a lot of my work um, early with children and adolescents. Um, and invariably when I would go into the homes to work with these um, families or they were at the residential treatment facility um, programs, you could just see the stress on the family's faces. And a lot of time the sentiment was it's them, you know, it's fix them. Um, But it's nearly impossible to do work with any family with it that, um, you know, with any child and not include the family in on those interventions or in so that they can learn the skills to replicate what it is they're learning either in therapy or what they're learning at the residential treatment um, center. And that too can actually help decrease the amount of stress that parents feel because sometimes they just feel like they're out of control and they don't know how to manage some of the the symptoms that are coming up for their children. Having that background where where you were describing as far as you've seen it across a variety of settings, you've gone into folks' homes and been able to kind of feel what it's like in the day-to-day. You've Mm -hmm. seen probably the most challenging situations that their children have been in because you've seen the hospitalized, the residential services, Mm -hmm. where this is kind of, you know, that hit the tipping point. You don't get to that level unless you really need the support. So all through that process, one of the big questions would be is, you know, the defining of stress is kind of a hard topic to kind of, how do you conceptualize this particular topic and put it into yeah. play? Yeah. But I mean, what what is it that, that characterized the 
the bad stress, the stress that mm-hmm. might keep somebody from being able to be their best self. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I would think of that as being like a chronic stress. So that might be someone who has um, not developed the necessary skills to manage some of the small stressors along the way, and they kind of build up and become so overwhelming that even small things seem unmanageable. Um, So, you know, everyone from time to time experiences stress, and stress is not necessarily a bad thing um, per se. It can motivate us to get things done, you know, from time to time. But when it's ongoing, it's perpetual. It seems like it's um, uh, relentless. You know, that's when it becomes a problem. And that's when you start to see, you know, people developing um, sometimes physical health issues and mental health issues. And they're feeling just run down and tired. And it's just chronic. So when you look at a parent who needs to be on the ball 24-7, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you for me personally, is that if there's stuff going on at home and at work at the same time, stress yeah. picks up. Yeah. Now, you have certain children that require attention all the time, and they require supports in order to help them facilitate every part of their day, which means parental stress has got to be yeah. extremely high. I mean, how, how can that impact someone's life that's parenting a child on the spectrum that maybe requires that higher level of intensity of service. Yeah, yeah. And like you, you know, mentioned, Jeff, when it comes to particularly children or parents who have children that are on the spectrum, a lot of times you see their behaviors and it's coupled with, you know, your medical issues, the autism is some sleep problems. So the parents aren't sleeping at night. Sensory sensitivity, sometimes they're not verbal. So you, they can't communicate verbally what it is that they're needing. And so and that might lead to tantrums or meltdowns. Um, I, I have found that some parents tend to internalize some of those issues as there must be something going on with me. You know, am I not a good enough parent? Um, I don't know how to um, um, implement specific parenting skills to address whatever this issue is. And sometimes it keeps them from wanting to go out in public and to be able to get some of their tasks done if they don't have those natural supports or resources in place to help provide them with some um, reprieve or some kind of respite. Um, I know too, there's still unfortunately stigma um, around the diagnosis of autism. So t- sometimes parents are really slow to seek support or they're you know, not wanting um, to communicate to other people what might be going on in their households. And that too kind of creates this um, level of stress. Um, I've even seen for some parents, you know, they want, they think that autism is a disciplinary issue, you know, so I can just discipline it out of them. Um, and that only leads to more frustration, you know, for some of the parents because the behaviors either get, they persist um, or they get worse, you know, because it's not a disciplinary issue. And so it, it definitely can increase the amount of stress that a parent is experiencing when you have a child that's on the spectrum for sure. And it it almost feels like a tumbling snowball, like it'll just keep getting bigger and bigger as time goes Mm -hmm. on. And Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so I mean, I just I go back to to my life because it helps me to put things into perspective. But I look at, say, I don't know, my 10 year old is doing math that maybe I haven't touched in 15, 20 years or whatever. I don't know. I mean, 
but I'm looking at this and it's like, okay, so I'm supposed to quickly understand this, quickly be able to teach it, help her to get through it without her getting more frustrated during the process. Mm-hmm. So that's that to me is, okay, so this shouldn't be that hard. Now you take a situation where you're dealing with a child, like you said, that maybe doesn't have the vocal skills or maybe doesn't have the social skills yet mm-hmm. to learn. Now you have to process how they're learning. Mm-hmm. Learn how to communicate to them, yeah. be able to model and demonstrate mm-hmm. and be consistent with that. I couldn't imagine how that feels. Is the lack of control as far as the lack of understanding, is yeah. that one of the the bigger contributors to stress or what else could be impacting those everyday stressors if you were to bucket them? For for a parent of somebody who maybe is neurodiverse, what are those biggest buckets that you run into? Um, I think you you hit the nail on the head when you mentioned understanding, because sometimes, you know, especially if you have a child that's not able to communicate their needs verbally, it takes a certain amount of patience um, in order to sit with the child and try to understand what is driving a particular behavior. You know, um, and if if you are not in that moment attuned with what's going on with your child, that can shoot your stress level, you know, through the roof. Um, because you know, you unfortunately sometimes children on the the spectrum might engage in self harming behavior, and you just want them to stop. You know, I just want you to stop. You know, and so they, if a parent is not aware. Um, and does not have an understanding of how to adequately and safely address that behavior, it can be pretty scary. It can be pretty scary for them. Um, To put it into buckets, so definitely understanding um, or lack thereof uh, when it comes to um, um, how to redirect behaviors. I think, too, um, there's a certain amount of unfortunately, self-education that has to go into understanding, you know, no one knows your child better than you know your child. So you can go get services, you know, all day long. um, But ultimately, the parents really, you know, when you think about it, are more of the experts of what might be going on with the child. So, you know, having the patience to kind of sit back and and try to assess, you know, what, where is this behavior coming from? So kind of educating yourself in that regard. Angela, would you bucket self-awareness and even, I don't know, self-care into that bucket or or would you say that's different? Absolutely. No, I I definitely think um, self-care is one of those skills that all parents need, period. Um, And then parents that have children that are on the spectrum need a double dose of, you know, just finding ways to be able to take care of themselves so that they can have the requisite energy um, and and physical resources, cognitive resources to be able to to help you know their child navigate navigate whatever stressors they have going on. So definitely taking care of yourself. And you mentioned uh, before self compassion. I think is really important too. You know there is no way to know everything. You know, and just like we would, you know, if you were talking to a friend and you were trying to help them to navigate a difficult um, situation with their child, having that same compassion for yourself as you are learning and and trying to understand what's going on with your child, I think that's really important as well. So true. Hard to do, but extremely true. If we go back to that, I mean, it's, it's putting this into context. So, I mean maybe you can give me some stories or some ideas of what you've seen in the field as far Mm -hmm. as this playing out. But 
say a parent is in that situation where their child, like you said, is just so frustrated mm-hmm. and is hitting themselves or is engaging in destructive behavior. And mm-hmm. the parents alone, they don't have anybody to help support them during that time. Yeah. And it, it doesn't have to be as big of a behavior as that. It could be they're screaming or laying on the floor. And how do you advise a parent to, I mean, to be equipped or if they're not equipped, what should they do in a situation like that? I guess there's two different scenarios there, but how, yeah. how explain to a parent how to manage their stress in those situations? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, working in an office setting, I know I'm doing, you know, primarily telehealth now, so my, my uh, purview was a little bit smaller, but Back when I was in an office setting, we wouldn't have children come into the office all the time that, you know, were either on the spectrum or they were coming in to see if their child was on the spectrum. You know, and and I think just the diagnostic process in and of itself can be somewhat stressful because sometimes parents, they have this idea that something's going on, but they haven't labeled it. So they're not really certain. Um, And so they they don't come with the skills necessary to really be able to mediate immediately, you know, self-harming behavior or destructive behavior. But I do remember, you know, having a, um, once a child came into the office and Wednesdays used to be our lunch days. And so someone would bring the lunch into, into the office and set it in the kitchen and they would have to walk through our waiting area. And we had a little, you know, cute little playroom with, you know, tons of toys, but for a child that's hungry, those toys, you know, kind of go out the way, but then you add on top of that, a child that, you know, is on the spectrum, that's nonverbal. Um, and the only way they can really communicate what they want is by, you know, banging on the window or kicking, you know, chairs and being destructive. And the parent really just not understanding or knowing in that moment what their child was trying to communicate. Um, So the first thing that I tend to tell parents is breathe. Just, you know, take a breath and breathe. You know, you you don't necessarily want to match your child's energy in this situation because that can make it worse. You know, so you want to just kind of just try to stay as relaxed as you can. Number one, you're in an office setting where we understand what's going on, you know, so we know your child is trying to communicate something to us. So just, you know, as much as you can, try to stay calm and try to breathe. Now think about, you know, what might your child be trying to communicate? A lot of times it's, you know, what has happened immediately before that behavior occurred, you know, and you can kind of backtrack it and see, oh, maybe it was related to the food. You know, and so you try to to narrow down what it is that they are are wanting in that moment. So, you know, instead of thinking about the child's behavior being like this willful act of defiance or I don't know what's going on with them. Think of it more in terms of their actions are probably a response to something. So it's purposeful. There must be something going on that they're trying to communicate and they're just having a hard time doing that. I think sometimes helping parents to even reframe, you know, that it's not on purpose. I mean, they're not doing this to you. They're doing this to try to communicate something to you. You know, I think sometimes that helps parents to really understand, you know, that, oh, this, that's what it is, you know? Um, and then once you find out um, what it is that particular behavior is trying to communicate, it's 
trying to help them replace it with maybe some more positive um, responses or behaviors. Like if they're kicking and what they want is food, then maybe, you know, teach them the sign for food mm -hmm. um, if they're nonverbal or if they are, you know, a little verbal and, can, and make a, a, a one word phrase, they can say food, you know, instead of um, um, using their behavior as a method to communicate and then just staying consistent. You know, so when you notice they're kicking, ask, do you, are you hungry? Do you want food? You know, so continuing to reinforce this new way until they're able to actually, you know, mimic or model uh, or show, demonstrate what it is that you're trying to model for them. Absolutely. Bells went off in my ears when you were, <laughs> when you started this, because when you initially started talking about this is that you emphasize they were in a safe place. They were in a clinic. People understood where they're at. Yeah. I, I think that one of the biggest things probably contributing to the parental stress is the public perception of the behavior that's occurring. Mm -hmm. um, I remember is that uh, I had a family that um, had reached out to me through one of these parent groups that that I've been a part of. And they mentioned that their child, who's extremely, uh, he has so many skills, he's, way, he's very adaptable in most situations mm -hmm. and contributes in almost every walk of life that he'd love to, but he has a hard time in stressful situations for himself communicating appropriately. So if he gets mm -hmm. frustrated, you're going to hear a string of profanity come out of his mouth and it's going to be everything that you could possibly imagine that he's ever mm -hmm. heard gotten a reaction yeah. so they were out in the community and he went on this yeah. litany of profane words towards another individual yeah. and what she described to me i think was extremely empowering yeah. is that she stayed calm in that moment yeah explained very clearly to the person who is being yelled at you're safe my child has difficulty processing emotions, mm -hmm. didn't even go into diagnostic condition, didn't even go down that line. Mm -hmm. Just clarify, this is where his deficits are. Right. I will definitely help to coach this in the future, but do not think that any of this is personal or directed at you, mm -hmm. and it might last another 20 seconds. Mm -hmm. And was very calmed. And the person then, kind of that understanding part, yeah. they understood, it didn't mm -hmm. heighten the situation. Well, Right. And I will say is that personally, as a parent, I don't know that I'm always capable of being that calm person. Mm -hmm. But how do you how do you put that? I mean, the community's response, the community helping. Yeah. Where is the parent community interaction come into play to help reduce some of these stressors? Because that public piece is so yeah. powerful, I think. It, it really is, you know, um, and. I think the community, there is a large and growing community um, providing support for individuals that have been diagnosed with autism and their families and friends, um, folks that want to be able to increase their level of understanding and what to do and how to navigate it. Um, uh, however, it's not, I think it hasn't reached everyone yet. <laughs> and so, um, if you have um, a child or someone that you know that has a diagnos diagnosis of autism, um, there are tons of resources and support groups. Um, I know that 
um, one that I use regularly is Autism Speaks. And they have, I mean, it's just a, a plethora of information that's available to families to really talk about um, how to engage in the community, how to develop support systems. Um, it even provides, you know, information from day one. If you're a new family and you have a child that's recently diagnosed with autism, what can you expect? Because I think for, too, a lot of parents, you know, it's, I don't know what to expect. What is next? You know, so just helping to kind of hold their hands and walk them through just that beginning piece of it so that they can begin to build their um, abilities to manage and navigate what's going on um, with their child and what's going on inside themselves as well. I do also recommend and suggest for individuals to seek out therapy, you know, for themselves. If they're, you know, experiencing chronic stress um, and they are, uh, wanting to be able to develop some individual skills to manage, you know, that coming up in their life, then finding a therapist is always um, a good uh, option or choice to be able to begin building your own small community of support. Um, that and also educating your family and friends. You know, like I mentioned before, sometimes there's that stigma um, attached to autism and you think I'm just not going to tell anyone because I don't know what they'll think of me or what they'll think of my child. But what you what you're doing, in essence, is really kind of isolating yourself and you're not giving your family and friends an opportunity to provide you with some some probably much needed support to be able to um, take care of yourself. So. Mm -hmm. No, two of those things that, that you mentioned there are ones that I think need to be echoed loud. Um, one is the fact that the therapy does help. And it's not a therapy of you're, you're wrong or a therapy of fix it. It's, a, it's yeah. Sometimes it's just the, the catharsis that it, I mean, you just being able to talk about how you're feeling in these situations is sometimes just helpful in itself. And that safe space does it. But the other piece that you brought up, I think, is something maybe it speaks to a broader community of stakeholders. Mm. But I was talking to somebody the other day and they had hit on the fact that why is it always about the autistic person having the change or the family having? And what it hit on me is, you know, we all have a role to play here and it could be as simple and there might be other ways to do this, but it could be as simple as. We are educated, a lot of us, in some of the components of autism. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe speaking at public schools, talking to younger kids earlier so they are educated about mm -hmm. their peers mm -hmm. and educated about just differences in people is that maybe that's where it starts, is that we actually reach out to the community mm -hmm. on the educative process rather than trying to make it so that we're just working one angle. Now we can work on the community support side of understanding, which right. sounds like reduces all the stress and might be a game changer for treatment. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, I remember when I was younger, I might be telling my age now, but when I was younger, you could come home from school on any given day and they'd have an after school special, mm -hmm. you know, and it would talk about, and it was kid friendly and it was, you know, something that you could watch with your parents. Um, and it typically talked about some really difficult to have conversations um, on different 
topics, you know, bullying, uh, substance use, domestic violence, you know, and, and, and it made it easier for us to engage or begin to have those conversations with our parents first. And then you go to school and you say, hey, did you watch that after school special yesterday? You know, so trying to find more avenues to really, like you said, engage more individuals, particularly, I think, some of the younger kids, too, um, because they are the ones that are in school and they're the ones that have to also build up, you know, some skills to be able to manage um, what that looks like. You know, we already have and I, I um, have heard stories about um, how sensitive some students already are to their classmates that have a diagnosis of autism. They might not be able to articulate what it is, but they know that there's something going on and they are super sensitive and super aware and very comforting and, you know, give them a minute. You know, I notice he doesn't like to be touched when that's going on. So everybody stand back. So they're already, I think, in some communities and in some classrooms starting to engage in those kinds of conversations that I definitely think, you know, if we saw something like that, on even in a larger scale, then we would begin to see, like you said, more of a, a positive impact just in, in terms of us taking care of each other in that way. I agree. It's, it is so cool to see that, yeah. that just the fact that some of the educative work that has started, you, mm -hmm. you see it naturally mm -hmm. occurring is that yeah. children are, are, are like sponges. They soak oh, yeah. up <laughs> that knowledge and they start applying mm -hmm. it. And, it's fun to see that it's happening at that level. But yeah. on the, on the, I guess on the same note, when we're talking to parental stress, mm -hmm. so I would say one of the gaps that we have right now in the clinical world with mm -hmm. autism is not understanding where the family is at at any given time. And maybe asking a lot of them at times where you don't know how maybe they only had two hours of sleep the night before because mm -hmm. it was at night their child couldn't get to bed or uh, they were stressed out because they had to manage five different uh, appointments plus their job, plus whatever's happening outside in their personal life. So how do you suggest a, a treatment team works with the parents to make sure that we are not overburdening the most important support network that our children have? Yeah. And and I think that's really important, you know, um, and it's it's sometimes something that as a practitioner, we have to step back and take a look at, you know, and say what, what other stressors might be going on for this family that might be impacting their ability to be present or to um, provide the, the services that we're, you know, uh, recommending or we're um, prescribing for their child. And a lot of times it's not because of a lack of desire to do it, it's I don't have the energy. I don't have the time. I am exhausted. Um, so I think it's really important for the treatment team to really, like you said, take into consideration what some of these other factors are. And sometimes it's as easy as asking, you know, so tell me, how was your night last night? You know, and adjusting my schedule today based off of where you are in this moment, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, taking into consideration, you know, your, the family's routines and what their work hours are, what the family structure is, you know, so all of those things definitely play a role when you're looking at, you know, how to best deliver um, the services in a way that will be receptive, you know, mm -hmm. so the family is actually going to be receptive to some of these interventions. You can't, you cannot fill a full cup. 
you know, yep. there, nothing else can go into it. So. it, it it's interesting is that, I mean, as, as clinicians, is that we've gotten so focused on finding solutions all the time that sometimes we forget to ask the questions. Yeah. And it's like, all right, well, start with the question, figure out where you're at. And especially when you're talking about a service that's that for younger children is oftentimes so intensive, at least in the commitment of hours. And it's, you know, if if getting those hours in is really tough in the home environment, let's find other places. Let's find other communities. If you can't contribute five hours of your time as a parent to do it, well, then let's start with 45 minutes of us helping to empower you so that we give you bites so that you can chew off, feel successful, Mm -hmm. and then over time, take on more of the burden yourself. I mean, so there's always an option. Yeah. It's just figuring out and individualizing it along the way. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's what I find too. A lot of times when people or when parents feel like they don't have a choice, you have to do it this way. You know, it becomes so rigid and they're just like, I, I can't do it. And because I can't, then that means I'm a bad parent. That means I'm not committed. That means, you know, so all of these thoughts begin to run through their heads. But if we take more of a person-centered or family-centered approach, you know, to providing those interventions, and like you said, thinking about, you know, outside the box. If I can't meet you at home, you know, um, number one, is there someone else that I can, that I might be able to meet? And I can, these skills can be transferable to that person. And that person can teach you on the weekend when you have time, you know, can I, are you, are you doing, you know, play dates this weekend? You know, can I come up? Can I meet you at the, um, the um, the park, you know, at McDonald's. It's really kind of thinking about these alternative ways of being able to meet the family where they are and not disrupting their schedule um, or trying to not to disrupt it as much as possible so that they're still able to to reap the benefits of, you know, some of these interventions that we know work so well with children that are on the spectrum. I think that uh, oftentimes is that if we take a step back and look at it, it, it we look at ecology of a family and ecology of individuals as far as how they interact and what their culture is mm -hmm. and how to be able to make sure how that's fitting. Oftentimes we're not including parental stress into that ecology equation. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like it's a big piece. It yeah. sounds like it's something that we should always put into the factors of, mm -hmm. you know, all those components and just understanding is that, you know, people are going to respond differently based mm -hmm. off where they're at in their life at yeah. any given moment. So, so, true. so, true. so what, what advice do you have? I mean, if you have a large audience to be able to speak to, and I think that what we do know is that parental stress is a factor. Yes. But what advice do you have both to the parent and then to the clinician mm. that can help to really start reducing some of that and empowering that relationship so that the parent doesn't feel like mm. they have to all the time or doesn't feel like they can't communicate where they're at without being mm. judged. Um, where does, how do you, what's the recommendation for that that you'd have? Um, I, I always, you know, tell my clients when we're looking at a multidisciplinary approach to treatment is that as a part of, you know, or within this multidisciplinary team, you are a member of that team. You have a voice. You have an opportunity here to be heard. Um, so I always encourage families to take advantage of the knowledge, the skill, the wisdom, the um, experience that all of your team members bring to the table. You know, we are, and like I mentioned before, 
I consider the parents to be more of an expert on what's going on with their child than I am. I may have gone to school and my knowledge is general, you know, so it's it's broad. Um, however, your knowledge is very specific, you know, um, as a parent. You know more about what's going on with your child than I do. I need for you, you know, to communicate to me what it is that you're seeing and then I adjust what it is that I'm doing to help benefit you. You know, so I, I try to um, help parents and clients to feel like they have a voice on their team so that um, they can feel heard and they can feel seen in the process. You know, so it's not that we're doing things to them. It's, you know, we are working together collaboratively, you know, for the in the best interest of, of your family and in the best interest of your child. But it's a very collaborative process. So take yeah. advantage of, you know, all the, you know, education that some of these folks that are on your teams have. Um, but then also remember that you are also an expert. Yeah. It's almost like you're saying is that the most valuable team member yeah. is the parent <laughs> in the that parent. process. And yeah, I think. Sure. Maybe that's a maybe that's a lesson for the clinician to understand mm. as well is mm. that the most valuable part to this whole process mm-hmm. is the parent because yeah. not only are they the decision maker, yeah. but they are the ones that are going to have to trust that process. Right. And I guess on that same note, would you say that treatment plans are a fluid process? Then is that there would be times where you're stepping back your treatment based off of where you're at at any given time, and that could be the parental level or the child level, the child level. is that you, you make sure. modifications and you change. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the uh, treatment plans cannot be just this um, very rigid A to B kind of plan. You always have to uh, make it adaptable, changeable. As things come up, you have to, you know, rearrange some things. You might not be able to get to this just yet. You might have to pull it back. Um, so that you can focus on some of these other behaviors that maybe are coming up or something's come up, you know, for mom or dad, and you have to kind of readjust and reschedule things. Um, so you might not be able to accomplish it in the time frame or, you know, within a specific um, time frame, um, but it's there, you know, and we know it's something that we're working towards. Uh, one of the things that I find with uh, treatment planning, too, um, is taking into consideration the parents and the child's strengths um, and some positives, you know, things that they really enjoy doing. How can you incorporate that into a treatment plan that doesn't seem clinical, you know, and it it seems like I'm doing something I would do anyway. Um, and it's it doesn't feel like work. Um, it doesn't seem like this impossible goal for me to get to. It's like, what do you mean take them swimming? <laughs> We love to go swimming. How can that be an intervention? Um, but taking into consideration things things that the family, all they're already doing and things that they enjoy doing so it doesn't feel so much like a task to mm-hmm. like check off of a box. It'll be sustainable. It's something that they can continue to do long term. So, yeah. And you have the family's buy-in with that too, for sure. Mm-hmm. No, that child-family relationship, I mean, it's a relationship. It can't all be work all the time. It's right. got to able to have some of those moments where it's just pure success. Absolutely. So, well, Dr. Stewart, I appreciate your time today. And and quite frankly, as I said, I think that you need to have a bigger forum to speak to clinicians and parents, because yeah. I think that what you're saying makes it it's so valuable through the process. And I think that it, it needs to have more of a megaphone to mm-hmm. it, yeah. get everybody listening. So mm-hmm. I appreciate you coming on today and, and look forward to having you back again to be able to kind of go deeper into this. Great.
Thank you for listening to Autism Weekly. We hope you tune back in next week to learn more about autism in the real world. Autism Weekly is now found on all the major listening apps, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, and more. Subscribe to be notified when we post a new podcast. Autism Weekly is produced by ABS Kids. ABS Kids is proud to provide diagnostic assessments and ABA therapy to children with developmental delays like autism spectrum disorder. You can learn more about ABS Kids and the Autism Weekly podcast by visiting abskids.com. Thanks for tuning in. See you again next week.